Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and this week I was talking with one of our New World Patriot Alliance members during our Friday coaching calls, and he was asking me about some of the tips that I shared from our recent Combat Machete Boot Camp that he attended here in Texas. Specifically, we were talking about diversionary tactics and how to use them during combat to defeat even multiple attackers with any kind of weapon that you might be using, especially the machete. Well, a few of the tips that I shared with our class of about 20 came directly from an interview that I conducted a few years ago with our previous organization, the ISCQC, regarding modern tactical versions of the ancient fighting methods of the legendary ninja. Now, that interview was one of my favorites of that year, and there was a lot of cool tricks that I learned from our special guest, Brian. I know you're going to love the tips that he shared as well, so I'm resurrecting this exclusive interview from our archives for your own training arsenal. Check it out now. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. We've all heard of the deadly combative skills of the ancient ninja. These feared warriors are talked about in legends, they're idolized in movies, and to this day, seen as very respected and powerful martial artists. But ninjutsu has also been downplayed in many circles as impractical and nothing more than film food. The question is, does the ancient traditional tradition or training of ninjutsu really have a place in preparing today's survivalist and combatist practitioner for the violent threats that we currently face? That's exactly what we're going to find out, and I have just the person to help us find that answer. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, president of the International Society of Closed Quarter Combatants. And with me as my special guest is a modern-day ninja whose work I've been following for some time, and I'm a real big fan. Please welcome Brian Stein to the program. Brian, welcome to the ISCQC Street Survival Training Broadcast. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, this will be the first time that we've actually done a, a training event together. And, uh, you know, Brian is a is a co-contributor um, for Military.com, but he's also got an extremely uh, eventful training uh, in his past as well. Brian has been training in the martial arts since he was very young, training in such systems as jiu-jitsu, harness, and kickboxing. But in addition to earning black belts in martial arts and mastering unarmed training, Brian was also drawn to the use of firearms and became a member of his high school's varsity rifle team. A disillusioned with conventional martial arts training, Brian was led to ninjutsu, where he apprenticed for nine years under the pioneer who brought the authentic ninja martial arts to the Western world, eventually becoming a founding member of his instructor's guild, as well as a licensed black belt instructor. Now, Brian later opened the Brian Stein Martial Arts Center, Long Island School for Authentic Ninja Training. And that word authentic kind of keeps popping up here, and I think for very good reason. And, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. But he's trained everybody from children to military personnel and law enforcement officers. Now, furthering his training and application of his combative arts, Brian graduated from the Executive Security International School, the ESI, and has worked as a bodyguard, loss prevention agent, and a consultant. Now, Brian is also a researcher and practitioner of the healing arts, 
both in traditional Chinese medicine as well as first responder medicine. Now, for more information about Brian and his training, please visit his website at www.briensteinselfdefense.com. That's S-T-E-I-N, briensteinselfdefense.com. Now, Brian, uh, you know, this is... um. This is a topic that a lot of people kind of raise their eyebrows to, and they never know what to expect once the word ninja pops into any conversation. And, and you know, I guess that's where I want to really start off is by looking at some of those myths and, and the misconceptions that people have about it. You know, I want to know, kind of learn the truth about ninjutsu, if you will. So let me ask you, how does ninjutsu, as you were taught, I mean, you had a very authentic uh, training platform. You, you know, it wasn't just the... Um, some uh you know kind of uh, comic book hero type trainers that you that you study with is there, the, the, that like i said that word authentic seems to come up a lot when i look at your background so how does ninjutsu as you were taught differ from the movie version that most of us are familiar with well that's uh you know that's that's a really uh, great question um unfortunately you know the the movies um there's really, uh, I guess, two different kind of, of ninja, you know, films out there. One is like the really, really cheesy, uh, B movies of the 80s. And then, uh, the other type would be more like the, the Ninja Turtle, you know, type of thing, uh, or Beverly Hills Ninja or something like that, where it's kind of like a, they have the ninja as some kind of like goofy comedy character. And, um, unfortunately, both of those, uh, are just so far away from from real life uh, ninja training that uh yeah it's just it's just amazing like how how far away those those really are um real, real ninjas is is about um going through your life in a way that people don't see you as a target and at the same time if you were to become a target you could take care of business in a real efficient way without attracting a lot of attention to yourself um, and also, your your eye is really ultimately the ultimate goal, as I see it, is that you you train uh, in a way that you want to live a long and happy life, and you want the people around you to live a long and happy life, and that's really what it's about. It, it's about you know if if something happens, you you have the the knowledge and the skills to take care of what needs to be taken care of. And at the same time, um, you know, you're not really looking like uh, a target or, or really what most people consider to be conventional uh, conventional martial arts type look. So that, that's really the, the essence of, of the ninja ninja teachings, you know, as, as I see it. Yeah, but uh, there's there's a problem here. Okay. No, nowhere in your description did you ever mention throwing a shooting star into somebody's forehead. <laughs> which is which is the coolest part that everybody loves about ninjutsu training. But, you know, I think right. very few people really ever understand that, you know, kind of the, the lineage or the history of of the ninja and, you know, what their, their real purposes were and all the different aspects of their training that went far beyond throwing stars into people's foreheads. Right. You know, what are some of the other areas that I think that that um that pe- you don't think people really understand about ninja training that that pe- that you know, all the way from ancient tradition that ninjas had to train in that would you know a- as tradition. Well, I think um, let's talk about the stars very briefly. You know, the uh, the iconic you know ninja throwing star. 
um, actually wasn't meant to, I mean, I, I don't think anybody on the planet could really throw one of those into, you know, through someone's forehead like you do in, you know, like you see in Good Guys Wear Black or something, you know. Um, those were actually meant, th- those actually started out as um, a, a nail-pulling tool. So the ninja were, were actually using that. It was, it was a, a tool for a carpenter. And, you know, in, in ancient Japan, everything was, was made out of wood. So they would have these, these kind of uh, nail-pulling tools where you could pull a wooden nail out with this, uh, you know, with this four-sided uh, senban shuriken. And, but then if, if they needed to, you know, perhaps they were, say, intelligence-gathering agents and they were gathering intelligence on, you know, the, the, uh, you know their enemy's new uh, castle and perhaps doing some drawings, but if they were caught, now they could press into action this nail-pulling tool and uh, kind of stave off someone uh, attacking them, as opposed to you really couldn't really kill someone with that, but, you know, if you wing a few of those in someone's way, they're trying to cut you down with a three-foot razor blade, it'll, it'll give you enough time in that conflict to escape. Hmm. And I, I think that's also a really good... Um, segue into into um, your question where you know the ninja they definitely had some viable um, of course uh, martial arts or personal protection skills um, but that's not just what the ninja were about there were different groups of ninja and each of them had um, different specialties some of them were explosive um, experts uh, other of them were intelligence gathering experts um, some of them, uh, at one point, actually were uh, firearms experts with the uh, Tanakamashima uh, weapons uh, that were, you know, eventually uh, sort of taken away from <laughs> taken away from them because uh, it, you know, wasn't very manly to just give a peasant a uh, a uh, you know long rifle, a long gun, and, and have them be able to kill all the you know samurai. Um, but uh, there's also a whole element of uh, disguise, and there's wilderness survival in uh, both uh, historical ninjits as well as modern-day ninjits, um, using pretty much anything as a protection tool or, or weapon. I, I like protection tool better um, because that's that's what it is. It's you know when you say when you say weapon, I think uh, it kind of assigns an, an evilness to what you're doing, but you're really just using that as a tool to protect yourself. Um, you know, so I think uh, that that's really the the essence of of the ninja arts or the, the the various aspects of that, and I think less and less those are being trained by modern day ninja, but um, there's definitely a whole lot of people out there who who do know those aspects. Well, I want to get into those too because they seem to be becoming more and more important as as we uh, as we move in. But right now, I want to focus. I mean, most of the people that are members of the ISCQC. Are here because they are they're combatives enthusiasts. They they're looking for right. personal protection when it comes to street survival. If they should you know meet up with somebody on the you know bad guys on the street being faced by gang members and things like that. So let's talk about the combatives portion of the the, the ninjas training. Um, I have a question here from Nick from Castle Carey, and he says a debate has been going on, on Facebook as to whether. Ninjutsu has a is a set system or a philosophy and mindset. What are your thoughts? And this kind of you know, let me let me kind of use this to segue into um, the the traditional training again, sticking with the traditional stuff um, of ninjutsu's uh, 
fighting methods. You know, so what are the basic principles that are taught from the combative standpoint uh, in your in the ninja training? Well, that's that's a great question. Um, I think the one thing that really sets uh, ninjas apart from a lot of arts, whether it's modern day combatives or or even ancient arts, is this idea of using um, your whole body. It's called kentai ichi jo in Japanese. It's like your your body and weapon are one. Uh, pretty much literally what that means. And it's so you're using this relaxed, uh, natural whole body. Uh, type of dynamic as opposed to just using your limb alone. So if you could think of, it's hard to sort of explain that or, or show it on the phone, of course, but, you know, just verbally. But if you can imagine uh, Tai Chi Chuan or Tai, tai Chi, what we know as Tai Chi, yeah. and then um, Muay Thai kickboxing, which, you know, we all know from, from watching UFC and MMA, sure. and, and kind of blend those into like one system where you're sort of using your entire body to slam through things as opposed to just snapping, um, that's really the what, what ties the various um, yuha or or ninja schools all together. That's this um, this whole body uh, slamming type action, and also that that um, is used whether you're whether you're kicking or punching or clinching or ground fighting. Or whether you're using uh, impact tools, or uh, edged weapons, or flexible weapons, or uh, projectile type weapons, or any combination of those. So it's kind of like you don't have to go like like what's very very big today. And uh, I'm definitely not putting it down. Um, in fact, I did that for for many years myself. Is to sort of take you know you take like the best of um, a striking system, or the best of you know the best kicking system, and then the best. Uh, clinching system and the best ground fighting system and you put it together and maybe you also take some like Filipino stick and knife fighting and kind of put that all together. Um, the Ninja actually had done that almost a, a millennia ago and it was kind of pressure tested so that what came out now today for us is this pressure tested system that includes all aspects of uh, combat. Uh, even, you know, psychological type uh, things and like a big thing now is also uh, using um, a sort of, uh, what would you call it? Um, uh, using uh, like a scenario-based training or adrenaline stress type type of conditioning, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, that's like all, that's all in there as well. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it's from way back, from over 900 years ago, almost really a thousand years now. Uh, all that's blended into one program or one system, so you don't really have to go out and learn a whole bunch of different things. It's already there, and it's already pressure tested. And you know, depending on who your teacher, teacher is, they might have a little bit more of a you know a classical mindset or traditional mindset where they want to sort of transmit the art and and sort of keep it as the art. And then there's people. Like like myself, who are really more concerned with, okay, that you know, that's all, that's cool. It's it's awesome. This is like a thousand year old system, and you know, it comes from Japan and and all that type of stuff. That that's great. But how can I make this work for me? You know, what if someone's trying to hurt me or my family, or you know, carjack me or uh, break into my house? You know, how can I how can I make this work right now and here in you know modern day Western a modern-day Western-type uh, North American, you know, type place. 
Um, yes, that's that's really my approach to, to yeah, the, uh, the, re- the ninja. The rea- yeah, the reality is is that you know a, a seven foot tall, you know ruthless uh, escaped convict doesn't care that it's you know what what technique that you're using or that it's traditional. What you need right. is, some, and you shouldn't either. It should be what is actually right. going to work to save your save your butt when you actually need it. And so that's interesting that um you know uh, the ninja training has has built into it kind of things that we use today as combatives pillars for for training that we do the pressure testing the adrenal stress training and the evolution right. to be able to adapt to a changing environment. So right. let's move into kind of the modern. The more modern version of it. I, we had a comment on the on our membership site um, yesterday. It was from uh, Brandon, and he says, "I believe um, is all in how you approach the art, as far as like he's referring to the uh, the modern day approach to ninjutsu." He says, "I've studied ninjutsu or ninpo since 1987. However, by this time, I've already been training in boxing, rough and tumble, World War II combatives, as well as a variety of Asian fighting arts." I've been in more fights than I can count, and I do not say this proudly. I developed a ninjutsu-based combatives program for the U.S. Army Special Forces, Green Berets, of which I was one. The program was very successful and received much positive feedback coming from real-world experience. Back then, the average weight for a uh, Special Forces soldier's rucksack was 120 pounds, not to mention a combat load of ammo and the like. The lower center of gravity in uh, in the base movement of ninjutsu was ideal at the time, as we had to carry so much weight. All the moves resulted around offensive and evasive skill sets. The empty-handed techniques could be used with a variety of weapons, edged, impact, projectable, as well as flexible in combination with just a slight modification of the dynamics. The stealth and walking techniques worked very well for the missions we would train for. The program was proven and effective. Uh, I think this is, uh, this is an incredible, incredible account of the application of traditional ninjutsu training for modern-day combatives. I mean, you can't get any more modern, I guess, than, you know, a special forces in combat. And to say that the application of of what we'd nor- we would normally consider as, like, combatives training in just the everyday type of, um, I guess, you know, skill set that, that soldiers need on a battlefield is a great testament to just how effective this is as a complete not only combative system, but also as a survival system, if you will. So I guess what I want to ask you in, in, in kind of moving into that is the um, the modern ninja. You know, if we, uh-huh. if we were to take a look at how things have evolved to the modern day and time, what would you say, how would you say things have changed in the way of combat preparedness in your eyes? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um I think let, let me say that you know I, I think the ninja really to me when when you look at them were perhaps not the original but but certainly were one of the real one of the oldest uh, groups or, or martial art groups if, if you want to call them that um, that really had a, a reality based approach and what's been transmitted from traditional ninjas is reality based uh, self defense from feudal Japan and what. What we as, as modern day ninja did was pretty much take all of the principles that are, are timeless and, and, you know, you could be used at, at any, at any time or place and just look at what 
the bad guy, what the enemy is doing. And that's how it's really changed to me. That's the difference between classical ninjits or historical ninjits and uh, modern-day uh, ninjits, or it's uh, sometimes called taijits, which is the physical, uh, it's literally body art. Uh, that's the physical, usually unarmed um, method of uh, personal projection that the ninja used. So um, what, I, what I've done a, a tremendous amount of uh, research into is just looking at what bad guys would do right here in my real life and then take the the ninja models um, the, with the ways of moving and the ways of, of dealing with aggression and just applying it to uh, a modern-day attacker and, and see how we could, uh, you know, use that to defend ourselves. And it's, it's a tremendously, tremendously effective uh, method, I, I think, even to many people's surprise how when, when they actually see it, you know, when you get past... Uh, the, the silliness of all the movies and, and everything and, you know, the ninja were assassins and all that kind of nonsense. Um, and you just, you really get to see that, you know, taijits or, or ninjits is just a, a brutally, brutally effective uh, combative system that you could teach to anyone in a very short amount of time if you're really honest. And you could teach it. It's, it's really the classical thing, what, what we've been told about martial arts, I think, all our lives is that, you know, you don't have to be uh, – martial arts is like a great equalizer. You know, you don't have to be fast or strong or super aggressive or tall. And in a lot of ways, there's a lot of truth to that. I don't 100% agree with that with that statement. But there's definitely a lot of truth to that. Ninjas is, is a great equalizer. I think – and, and the reason is that you're using this relaxed, natural body motion or body body dynamics to – just slam into all the, you know, vital points of your uh, attacker. And also you're using anything in your environment. That's also a, a really, really important and uh, essential part of uh, modern-day ninjas training, as it, as it was historically, is just to use whatever is in your environment to uh, your benefit and to the detriment of your your enemy, your attacker. Uh, that's That's really key, very, very important. You know, I, I've seen a lot of crossover as well with some other areas that I think, um, you know, the traditional ninjutsu training has so much application that I think a lot of people don't even think about, but it's, it's really part of a, um, of a modern day comprehensive survival plan. I mean, some of the things that came to my mind were, you know, I know that survival, you know, the ninja had to, and sometimes, you know, if they were on a long distance mission, whether it's for surveillance or whether it was for, protection they had to learn to live off the land they had to be able to survive they had to be able to subsist on their own with minimal right. amount of supplies and today there's there's such a groundswell movement of of survivalists people who are into whether it's wilderness survival or urban survival you know we see um that what the effects that natural disaster has had even within the united states um right. in japan Things like right. that where people might all of a sudden be left without any electricity, without any food, without any right. water, and they have to somehow find a way to, to survive. Um, the type of training that Ninja had received and, you know, the, that authentic Ninja's training um, provides, you know, the modern-day practitioner could help in that instance as well. You know, you I was really interested in your background that you've also done things like, um, you know, medicine. 
You know, and, and if you were out on a long distance mission as a ninja, you know, a thousand years ago, well, you know, if you get a, a snake bite or you cut yourself, you get a laceration, you fall down, you break an arm or something, well, you can't just call 911 on your cell phone. So you've got to, you know, being able to, and a lot of people, a lot of people in the modern day, you know, combat prestationer doesn't necessarily think about, you know, first aid. I mean, you've, you've taken it from both, you know, internal, uh, you know, uh, traditional like Chinese medicine all the way to first responder and I mean how right. how effective is that I mean that's amazing I mean it, that's that's great you know you can you know rip somebody's arm off and club them over the head with it but then you, you want to avoid going to prison so you should probably be you know be able to take some dental floss and sew the arm back on <laughs> kind, of, kind of patch them up too yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah, um, you know them. also I mean the uh the traditional ninja training was very focused also on weapons I mean Every martial right. art, every every battle, every soldier throughout time, man has never right. really been an unarmed combatant. They've right. always used weapons to be able to, you know, fight their enemy. And so, the right. the um, the traditions of weapons based training for ninja. Well, today's bad guys, yeah, they're not, you know, they're they're carrying weapons out there. So, <laughs> right. you know, having that type of a focus early on in the ninjutsu training um, seems like it has a lot of crossover as well. And you brought up improvisation. You know, I think, uh, you know, you brought up like the, nin- the history of the ninja, the stars, the shuriken, as right. being used for pulling out nails. Right. You know, I don't, I didn't know that. So I don't know how many other people right. didn't know that. I'm probably not the only one. So, I mean, talk about improvisation. So, you know, it, nowadays we, you know, might not be able to have a weapon on you. And so being able to improvise, is really right. important to be able to look and see and identify something as a weapon and being able to use it. And then something, and this, I thought this was a very cool little, I just thought about this as you were talking. And, you know, you were saying that the ninja, you know, sometimes some of their missions might be like intelligence gathering. That might be a specialty of theirs. Right. And if we look at the modern day protectionists, if you want to, if you want to call it that, you know, if you, if you, um, how many people actually look at the crime stats for where they live? Right. Or have ever done a search online for, you know, child predators? Right. I mean, that's a form, that's a modern day form of, you know, of intelligence, intelligence gathering. gathering. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. So I, oh, yeah. you know, I think if we really analyze it, there's so, I mean, I, I've always been amazed at the comprehensive background of the, of the ninja's training. It's, to right. me, it's just, um, it's so, it was so far ahead of its time and, right. uh, you know, unrightfully dis, I don't even know if that's a word, but dismissed, I guess, right. that, you know, of, of people today because, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are like the real ninja now. So, you know, I think right. there's there's so much to learn for the modern combatives practitioner from this art, and it, and it really deserves a second, you know, a second look by people who maybe have dismissed it in the past. Right. You know, um, Brian, this is a we got a, a question here from uh, Jamie from Portland, and he says the Japanese are rare in history in that they knew. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but this is the way it was written okay. here. The Japanese are rare in history in that they knew of firearms but rejected them until it was too late to fend off foreign influence. Um, Commodore Perry was written in here. I'm not not really good at history. But uh, where do Uh firearms fit in modern ninjutsu, and how do ninjutsu principles affect your firearms training? And now, Brian, one of the things I love about reading, I mean, first of all, you're one of probably the most um, prolific writers that are out there when it comes to actually 
um, putting information out related to the combative arts. And most people, you know, die off after a couple of months and they realize it's kind of <laughs> hard to write these articles. And you've been very steady for so long. And I love you. I love your articles. And one of the things I, I really like is that you do talk about firearms training. And right. so, so again, I mean, let's let's kind of go back to the question because I, I think it was a really good one. So. Um, where do firearms fit into the modern ninja combatives training, and how do ninja's principles affect your firearms training? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's an awesome question. Um, the, um, like I was saying before, uh, the, that, that relaxed, natural, uh, whole body movement is applicable to anything. So whether you're using, you know, your hands or your feet or your knees, your elbows or you're grappling or you're on the ground and, you know, fighting, or you have, you know, a stick, a knife, a chain, a pistol, um, a rifle, shotgun in your in your hands, um, all of that is the same, um, which I know that kind of blows a lot of people's minds, but all the same uh, movement uh, principles are there. Um, also, too, what's um, really uh, amazing about the uh, the ninja uh, protection arts is that it's it's an integrative practice, and by that I mean is that we don't leave anything out. So, you know, if it was uh, a pr- if it would be appropriate in in a conflict to use um, instinct or or people call it point shooting, then we would use point shooting. But perhaps um, you know the bad guys uh, a little bit farther off, then we would use sighted shooting. Um, if someone's uh, real close to us and we got to do like a speed rock type of uh, action to defend our lives, then we'll speed rock and use just a single hand type of action. But maybe uh, we have a little bit more time in the conflict, so we would use, you know, a double uh, double hand hold if we're using like a pistol type of thing. Um, also, too, I know in in, uh, in uh, firearms training, you know, there's there's always uh, isosceles, uh, you know, versus you know, whatever other uh, stance, uh, weaver you know, stance, you things use, like you know, that. The weaver, or yeah, I get you're right. The Sosceles versus weaver guys, you know. Um, and the answer for us is, you know, which one is better? The answer is yes. Wh- whatever is going to let you go home safe and sound and live a long, happy life, and you watch your kids grow up, that's what's good to use in a, in a conflict to to win the fight, to survive the fight. Um, so the ninja method of, of uh, using firearms, you know, is truly like an integrative one. And I know, you know, I, I've talked to, uh, I, have, I have a lot of friends who are, um, you know, firearms guys, gun buffs, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, they just like pull their hair out of their head when I <laughs> when I start talking like that. They're, what are you talking about? You know, it's, I'm a weaver guy and I learned, you know, the weaver stance from, you know, the guy who developed the weaver stance, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's weird. It's, it's almost like, um, uh, like a cult or a religion where this, like, dogma gets in the way of them just, you know, them just surviving the fight. I mean, who really cares, um, how or what method you use to draw or fire or, you know, what posture or, or stance you use? It, it's, it's secondary. It's not important, you know, and that's also, um, a very, very, important part of the ninja mindset is that, you know, how, how do you win a fight? I mean, I, I don't care if I win it by kicking or punching or or ground fighting or clinching or if I use a stick or a broom or a shovel. I mean, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just want the the bad guy to stop doing bad stuff to me <laughs> and just and I want to live a long, happy life. So, 
that's that's what's important. That's what's key. And I, I think so many people in in the reality-based self-defense, uh, combatives, and firearms world um, really just so have lost sight of that. You know, it, it's you don't want to get caught up in the details. You you want to you know you want to think with the end in in sight first, and then sort of reverse engineer you know, back to, okay, how am I going to accomplish living a long, happy life? You know, and then when you start, if you have that kind of mindset, which is sort of like a backward, you know, thinking by, I think, a lot of, you know, people's uh, destination, you know, you really get to see that, you know, all these all these kind of details, you know, whether you have like a strong side carry or you do a small little back carry or, you know, or even, you know, I, could, I mean, I could talk about this forever, you know, uh, you know, you, you've got to have a 1911 and it's, you know, it's got to have these kind of sights on and it needs this kind of grip or, you know, you've got to have a Glock or whatever it is. You know, that's, that's all good, but that's not what, that's not what survive, helps you survive the fight. You know, all the gear and all the techie stuff is great if you have the training and you've got the principles down. And you can really make all that work while you're under the stress of an adrenaline dump. Yeah, that's great. Once you've got that going for you, then we can talk about, you know, what's the best pistol for you or, you know, shotgun or rifle or whatever, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, but yeah, you really, really have to, um, you know, think about long-term big picture. What am I trying to do here ultimately? You know, and, and it's also, I know I, I've, uh, even some stuff that I posted on, uh, on military.com, a lot of people were kind of perturbed by, uh, things I said about, you know, you, you're trying to just deanimate the bad guy. You're not trying to, I'm not trying to kill the guy. You know, I, I really don't care if, if I kill my attacker or not. I really, really care if I get killed. You know? yeah. Um, I really, really am very kind of honed in on that point. Um, it's really secondary if he dies, if, even if I, you know, triple tap him in the head at point blank range, whether he dies or not, I- I'm not concerned. I'm not going to be there long enough to really figure that out, you know, or see what that I'm going to, you know, get to a, a safe place and uh, wait for the police to arrive if, you know, from just a civilian uh, type of person. But, um, yeah, as far as the, the, the ninja, um, firearms uh, approach, you know, you really uh, want to be good with, uh, pick up anything and use it. So you have to be familiar with, you know, how different revolvers uh, work as opposed, and, and auto loaders and shotguns and so forth and rifles. So you want to be, and even an SMG, if, you know, depending on where you live, um, that might even might be an option for you, even as a civilian. Um, you know, really, um, find out how, how all those work because, you know, if, if you had to pick up a firearm in in a real in a fight and it's not yours, you, you just don't have time to be messing around with. Okay, how do I make you know? Is the safety on? Is the safety off? Okay, the bad guy is coming to me. You know, it's is it loaded? Is it not loaded? You know, you just need to really be familiar enough with um, the whole range of firearms so that in in, a, in the real life conflict. You could, uh, you know, just get right into action and, and all that other stuff isn't gonna, you know, matter because you already did the training. You know, you did the research, you did the training. That's, that's really important too. Which goes back to, I think we were talking about before with, uh, intelligence gathering. You know, you just really need to have that all done. 
and I think that's why the ninja survived as long as they did. You know, the samurai uh, didn't survive. They were abolished in the late 1800s in Japan, if, if you watch the, uh, the uh, Last Samurai film uh, with uh, Tom Cruise. That's what that whole film is about, is the samurai being uh, abolished. So, the, you know, the samurai are gone, but, you know, the ninja are still here. And there's a good reason for that. They adapted, yeah. I mean, right. and, and you bring up some re- some really good points, you know, especially about the uh, you know familiarization. So intelligence gathering, um, you know, very so many people, especially when their firearms focused, they they get focused on their firearm, you know, their pistol. Right. This is the be all end all peacemaker, and right. and uh, you know they're they're so focused on it that if they were to you know people look at. Um, I think from a few different angles. So, you know, we talk in combatives about, you know, firearm disarms. Well, that's great. Right. You just disarmed the firearm, and now how do you <laughs> take it off of safe if you've never, you know, touched a firearm before? So yeah, right. for hand-to-hand people who are who are trained in martial arts and combatives, you know, right. firearms familiarization is a huge part of that. For firearms focused people, they can learn a lot from the from the ninja training as far as intelligence gathering and knowing what they can pick up and fire. I mean both both camps can actually do that. But then also Absolutely. don't you feel that firearms people they just I mean, haven't you I know I've met a, a bazillion of these guys that are just so right. focused on like what the hell do I need to learn how to uh do a you know um, a stomp kick or a front kick or anything, right. I've got my 1911. And, right. you know, you, one of the things that I, I heard you say earlier about the integration, about the, um, you know, weapons are really an extension of the right. body, and that's how they're best right. used, and that's how they're best looked at. So, you know, so many people think that they can get that gun out of its holster in time, and they can... Uh, you know they're going to be able to draw down, and they're going to be able to put those sights right on the the, the forehead of the bad guy charging at them. And I know right. from from training experience that that's right. just not going to happen. We just we just did an adrenal stress training course out in Colorado, and right. um, you know the very first course we did was people had a um, a concealed firearm, and you uh-huh. had to be able to draw it out from about 25 to 30 feet with a guy charging at you. And right. most people, the gun got caught up in the coat. It didn't come out right. Um, right. You never got it off before you were stabbed, you know, 17 times by the guy that was charging at you. So it's the tool drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the tool drill. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, it, it's amazing. I've actually done that that drill, uh, which has been around. You know, it's amazing. It, it's that's been around. I think since like the. I could be wrong, maybe the, as long as the 1970s, the late 70s. If not, it would be like the late 80s. But certainly it's, it's been around a long time. And I've actually done that drill with students of mine who were, um, you know, real life, like cop, uh, cops on the beat for, you know, like 15 years and uh, former uh, military combat veterans. And um, all those guys got stabbed. And all of the guys, and even I, I had um, a whole bunch of students who were fairly high level, certainly at least like first degree black belt level martial artists in other arts other than ninjas, and all those guys got stabbed too. And yeah. it's it's amazing, you know. People people don't realize it. And, and you know what? The first time I did that drill, I'm like, 25 feet. Give me a break. I'm gonna like yeah. I'm gonna empty the maggot to this guy. Like, what are you talking about? You know, that's that's ridiculous. Please. 
Don't even, yeah. you know, but let's not even bother with this nonsense. And uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> it's pretty enlightening, you know, when, when the guy's like, char, char, you know, does the 100-yard dash <laughs> uh, for yeah. you, and, you know, that 25 feet is, it, it's like instantly gone, and you're like, wow, this is insane. Yeah, um, and, but, and, and here, yeah, and here's my here's my point with it is that, you know, the firearms guys can learn about the integrative approach of the modern ninja and the right. and the ancient ninja because, you know, the firearm is just an extension. If you if you're not right. skilled enough to be able to break the contact, to be able to, you know, hold the person back while you're reaching for a gun, that gun's right. no use for you. I don't care if it's you know a Desert Eagle 50 caliber. I don't care what it is. <laughs> right. If you right. can't get it out of the holster, you're not going to put a hole in anybody. So right. there's a lesson to be learned there about the integration, and and I, I think it's a it's a great uh, marriage, that, especially that you've written about, in in how that has applied. And I think you've done a great job of people. I think that follow your work from a you know ninjutsu training perspective to be able to have that to have that um that exposure to something right. beyond just you know the traditional stuff that they're that they're looking at. But you know let's stay with weapons for a little bit here, and let's let's kind of draw this um kind of this this connection again between the past and the, and the present. What are some of the traditional ninja weapons that you see most you know most most uh, ninja practitioners are training in, and what are their modern equivalents when people look at modern weapons training that they're going to use for self protection? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, the first um, the, the first weapon or, or protection tool that. Uh, that I teach um, in, in ninjutsu is called a hondo, which literally means half half staff. Han would be half, and bow would be like a six foot staff, so a half of a staff. So it's a three foot um, staff or walking stick, really, um, and it's it's got some heft to it. It's it's not made out of rattan. Um, usually, it's made out of like uh, white oak, um, like a, like a real dense type of white oak. So again, you're kind of using um, that slamming and stick to and blast through type of dynamic with it, as opposed to uh, I know when I when I was 15 I I trained in in Arnis and Filipino martial arts and we had these like 30 inch long like real thin super light rattan sticks and you know we were able to like hit someone like 30 times in like two seconds you know and that was it, it's kind of cool actually. Um, but this is sort of the the other uh, end of, of stick fighting, where you got this real heavy, heavy stick, um, and that you know it, it, what's what's awesome about that is that the the historical training tool or, or protection tool is also the modern training tool. It's it's a stick, it's a walking stick, it's a cane, it's uh, it could be a stout umbrella, a shovel, um, anything like that, anything that's long and about three feet long, you know, about three feet long, and it's got some heft to it. Um, you could use that um, as a, as a hondo. So that would be the the first one. Um, the second one is uh, the knife. Uh, it's called tanto, tanto jits in in uh, Japanese, and that you know again does is the same thing from you know almost a thousand years ago till today. It's the same tool. You know maybe it's not like a real cool looking you know Japanese tanto, but it's it's whatever edged. Um, edge protection tool that you need. You know, uh, these days most people carry, uh, or well, most people, but most, you know, people into combatives and things like that, self-defense, you know, might carry, um, a, like a lockback, you know, folding, uh, folding type knife, um, in, you know, various designs. So that's really the same. Um, the techniques are, are really the same except for well, a let's, real hold, old let's, hold on a second. Let's, 
Well, I, okay. I, I want to just stop here right quick because I think there's a couple of couple kind of interesting points of distinction here. So, so okay. one for the um, the the knife, the the okay. tent. Uh, the uh-huh. Tanto is a, is a kind of a blade all by itself that you find a lot in combatives knives. It has a very right. ninja focused point to it. Um, right. It has a very distinct design. What is the purpose of that of that tip? And, and is from the ancient times to the the current practice that you know the current reason you might use that type of a point uh, today? Uh, yeah, that's actually the that's my that's my favorite knife design for sure. Um, I own a whole whole bunch of those. Um, historically, it was used primarily as a thrusting tool, um, as opposed to being a slashing tool. However, um, you definitely could use it to do um, a pull cut or a push cut, uh, in, in, as far as a slashing type of action. Um, but it, it definitely was designed to uh, be be a, a stabbing or, or thrusting uh, weapon. Um, Initially, it was probably to get through the armor, which isn't the armor that we know today. When you, you if you said samurai armor, I think everyone knows those like that really cool, like lacquered, you know, type of usually black. Um, but the real old school, like a, original Japanese armor, was made out of uh, like bamboo, so you could easily thrust something to, uh, through that and uh, you know do, do someone in. I mean, hit, hit them in the heart or a vital organ, and that would be the end of it. Um, so that's that's what the that's what the tanto is used for. That would definitely be you know if you ask me offhand, uh, that would definitely be the um, knife design that I would uh, recommend because um, you know this is my favorite knife overall, but also the the ninja method of fighting this tantojits or ninpo tantojits uh, used the tanto originally, so the the techniques go very well. You know, with that type of thing, as opposed to, um, well, you know, again, everything's adaptable. I mean, if you had a, a like a Bowie type knife or a, you know, a K bar type of thing, um, that would work just as well. But, um, but I think one, th- I think when I when I've seen the uh, descriptions for the Tanto, it's because of uh-huh. the the design of the point everything, it 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 better pierces things like. You know, like um, the metal of a car door or a fuselage oh, yeah. of a military aircraft, things like that. Where yeah, absolutely, you know, I'm not sure why you'd be stabbing car doors, but you know what I mean. It's like you never know for <laughs> survival purposes or whatever. If you have to somehow, you know, pierce through metal, it's a better point right. than most other like slashing type weapons. So especially yeah, even in like survival back. scenarios, you know, and having it not right. only for defense but for survival. And right. um, even just everyday tasks, that type of a point that was taken from, um, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that was like originated with the ninja. Is that right, or uh, is not, that not so much? No, it's it's. Uh, I would say it's like a, a generic um, Japanese design, okay. uh, which which the which the ninja definitely made very good use of. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the reason why the tanto is is such an uh, effective uh, thrusting tool is because the back of it, at least, is a properly. Um, crafted one, the back of it is so thick, so it could really uh, take the weight of a thrust on, on the back. Um, it's also uh, really fascinating, too, is that um, a lot of the ninja methods, um, e- even with like a knife or sword fighting, you actually use the, the flat of the blade and the back of the blade if you didn't want to uh, permanently injure 
or kill uh, your attacker. So there's a lot of techniques that are like that where you're actually slapping the guy's hand, literally like slapping the guy's hand or, or arm with the, the back or the, or the side of the blade. And if you, if you had a tanto, um, that would be a really effective thing. It's like just, you know, imagine hitting someone with like a really heavy metal bar on yeah. their, like on their knuckles or, or uh, wrist. You know, that's just a tremendously effective uh, technique if, you know, if you've never you know, felt what that's like. It's also really scary because the guy's thinking you're slashing him up and he's just getting battered with, uh, <laughs> with the metal part of the, you know, the dull right. part of the uh, tanto. Yeah. Right. You know, the probably the most common weapon that we associate with with ninjutsu is the sword. And right. you know, obviously I'm I don't know too many people that would be able to pull it off, you know, walking around the convenience store with a sword strapped on their back. Um <laughs> what if, what would you see as kind of like a modern day equivalent of of the most common ninja weapon? Um I mean, what comes to my mind, and actually this fits in with um, what you were saying before with the um, with the short staff, is right. I mean, I'm uh, I'm really into survival as, as as well, especially you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a recent convert to the study of like urban survival, and you know the machete is something that yeah. um, I you know I keep with me, you know I keep I keep one in my car because it's real right. easy. I mean, look, if I got pulled over for a speeding ticket and and the police looked in the back seat and saw a giant, you know, ninja sword. He'd raise an eyebrow, but I can explain a machete. Right. And you know, I, I I'm going camping. Yeah, I was in there from the camping trip or whatever. Um, I can't explain, you know, like a ninja sword for camping, but I can explain a machete. And right. I use a short one. Right. So when it comes, and I and I'm I'm just now taking up um, Arnis as well for this purpose. Oh. Of you know whether you have a three foot stick in your hand or whether it is a a two and a half to three foot machete, right. it's all the same. Like you're 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 right. saying the movement is the same, and so being exactly. able to you know you can you can easily get away with carrying a machete if you can explain its purpose, um, and you have a survival tool as well as potentially um, a protection tool if needed. Right. But that's another um, kind of. I think that's a really great modern version of what's considered the um, kind of the uh, the ultimate. Uh, now, let me ask you about one more weapon. The um, we talked about it earlier, but the the shuriken. The the and, and forgive me if I'm butchering all of these Japanese names. Cause I'm sure I am. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm trying to mimic you as much as possible as we're going through this. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the throwing stars. Um, uh. Is there a place for that? I mean, is there a modern equivalent you can see in self-protection? Is there a way to, whether oh, it was yeah. used for throwing or whether it was for anything, what would you, what, how would you bring that up to modern times? Oh, yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, what, what I did for, for many years is actually just that. I, w- I would look at the historical ninja weapon and be like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, especially at that time I was living in New York, I walk around with uh, throwing stars and, the, you know, the police uh, stop me. I'm, I'm going to go to jail for that because they're illegal in New York. Um, but what you can do is um, you could use uh, just uh, coins or, you know, and this, this whole, like, throwing star category, it's, it's really just, if you think about it, it's just um, projectile tools. So anything you throw. Uh, so it could be, um, like, an old-school uh, film canister with some sand in it. Uh, you could use just a whole bunch of coins in your pocket. 
Um, what I would practice with for a tremendous long time, I got really good at throwing uh, washers, you know, just metal washers. And those are, you know, if, if someone stopped me or, you know, if, if, uh, if I was searched or anything, you know, it's just like, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm this worker guy and I've got these washers in my, you know, I was, you know, just came from work. But got washers or, you know, no one's going to stop you for coins or, I mean, even if you have like a, you know, a cigar tube full of uh, sand or something like that, it's, it's all the same. You know, it's the, the other aspect of, of that too, historically, it's called Mitsubishi, which is a uh, blinding powder. You know, Ninja were, were also sort of famous or even infamous for this blinding powder where they, they take an egg and you hollow the, you know, put a little hole in the egg, take the contents out of it, and then fill it up with, uh, you know, powder, maybe some iron filings and things like that, and then wax over to take some wax drippings. So now you've got this egg, so you break the egg and you you fling it out and you could blind like a whole group of people if they were trying to, you know, cut you down with some swords. And again, that would leave you enough time in that conflict to uh, hopefully escape or at least, you know, get a good uh, get a good uh, running uh, going. Um, that That would definitely be what you know, the, the modern day equivalent of, uh, and, and of course, you know, OC spray or something, you know, along those lines, um, that, that's tremendously, tremendously effective. And again, you'd be using the same body dynamics that you would be with, uh, throwing stars. And then also there was, uh, also this, it's called a bow, bow shuriken is the other type of shuriken that, uh, the ninja had, which was, uh, it was like, it looked like a giant nail. And you could use, just use, use exactly that. I practiced with that. For years and years in my basement against uh, just a, a wooden plank, just take all the nails that I had in my house and just start throwing them at this plank. And, and eventually you get the, the feel for how to properly grip it and the flip that happens. And that's tremendously effective. And, it, you know, somebody just can imagine, you know, throwing a nail at someone and actually, you know, stabbing them or it's not going to, you know, go through them, but it's going to, you know, definitely give them a little bit of a jolt. And that's really all you need. That's what you need is like, whoa, whoa. And now I can get, now I can escape. Or I could, you know, close the distance and engage if uh, that's what I needed to do to, you know, protect myself. That's great. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this is fascinating to me because, uh, you know, as you said earlier, you know, everybody has this, this image of, you know, throwing the, uh, the shuriken out and there it is wearing the, uh, you know, the bullseye right at the forehead and, and bad guy goes down. And that right. just doesn't happen. And I can tell you, I've bought enough, you know, I'm admittedly really cheap, crappy, you know, stuff from the flea market, you know, and try right. throwing it in the wood. It's like, why the hell aren't these things sticking? But, you know, that they're seen right. as distraction tools is all you really need. So I love the um, the, the idea of whether it's a chain or a pocket full of change or washers or whatever it might be, just uh, the the image of taking a handful of washers or a handful of change and throwing it into the face of somebody who is woofing on you, a bad guy who you who you right. recognize is about ready to strike you, throwing that in their face is such a it's such a startling event and so unexpected by them that it right. gives you that break state that you need to either you know find you know run to safety. That might be all that you possibly need, or to follow up with your own attack. Uh, I think it's an an incredible uh, improvised, you know, uh, uh, survival strategy. And then the uh, the powder. You're right. I mean, this is uh, kind of one of those old mythological or legendary, I guess, right? You know, techniques. And so, how how would we make 
like some sort of a modern day version of that. I love this cigar tube type thing. What would you put into it? So that, I mean, I can see that popping the cap off and just waving it in front of you and creating this kind of cloud for again for either as a distraction tool or as a a, a shield for you to be able to break break contact and run away. What would we put inside of that um, that cigar tube? Well, would it be like talcum powder or what would you use? Um, talcum is, is a bit light. Um, I, you definitely want something that, that has a little bit more heft to it. It's a little bit more dense. Um, I found that uh, just regular sand from, from the beach um, works really, really well. Um, it's also really surprising. And, it, you know, if, if you've ever been to, to the beach, I mean, you get some sand in your eye and that, man, that's irritating. And, and, and that's really the whole point of that. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to do the guy in um, with you know with a, a tube of sand, but uh, again, it'll it'll give you uh, enough to uh, in, interrupt his attacking pattern and you know give you give you time to escape to safety or or again if if you feel necessary to uh, you know to engage him and, and actually you know take take care of business whatever you got to do to make yourself safe. That's but, great. Uh, yeah, that's I'd, such I'd a, say sand. Yeah. yeah, that's such a cool. That's so that's so cool. Um, you can tell I really like these like little, <laughs> I like these cool little sexy <laughs> tips you get. I already got my shopping list started already. So, Stand um, the <laughs> Brian, I got a um, I got a, a question in here from Carl from Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, obviously a soldier. Uh, one of the things people think about when they think of the ninja is that they were always armed. I'd like to know how Brian arms himself when he walks out of his front door. So. How have you taken the the concepts of of the modern day version of your training when it comes to being armed? Obviously, you have the the hand to hand skills that you train you train so much for. But you know, when, like, like Carl says, when you know we 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 see that they're they're kind of armed with all these little secret spots and, and places where they <laughs> weapons. You know, right. in your protection plan, how do you arm yourself when when you leave your front door to go out into the world? No, that's that's a great question. Um, the one thing I've I've had forever, I mean, it could be, it could be like thirty years, uh, is, is a kubotan, like the real Takubota, you know, kubotan keychain. Um, that's actually a, a a ninja tool too. It's called a Eta Kopo bow, and it's it's just the same thing. I mean, it's like we we're talking about before the 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 ancient tool is also the modern protection tool. You know, just a, a little plastic rod. Um, if, if you've ever done any of the, you know, that Kubotan type training, it's it's just brutal. My my students would would love and loathe uh, <laughs> the Kubotan training because you know they do it was something that they could really literally like carry around with them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when you start, especially when you start doing like finger locks and grabbing someone's ear with the Kubotan, uh, it's oh, it's brutal. Um, so that's, you know, that's one thing, um, I always have, uh, on me, um, you know, just, just, just on my key ring. Um, another thing would be, uh, folding knife. Uh, I've got a real, real big fan of, uh, cold steel, uh, folding knives. I've got, uh, their Tonto, uh, one of their, one of their, uh, folding Tontos. I've had that for, for years. Um, that's, uh, I think also too, if you, you know, Go, going back to just urban and, and wilderness survival, uh, the, you know, the one thing that anyone that's ever trained with, uh, in, in survival methods will tell you is that 
you got to carry a knife. You know, those that say you can pretty pretty much do without anything, but you you've got to have a knife. Um, so that's you know that's something. Um, you know, I used to used to do some security type work. So uh, if I was working, you know, I might have uh, some firearms uh, on me. But uh, yeah, that's uh, basic uh, things. Uh, in my car, I've got uh, all the little you know gadgets, uh, more mostly uh, impact type tools, just sort of all over, really like all over my house too. Um, I'm a big fan of impact tools because uh, you can. You can vary your response to an attack with them, whereas, you know, with a knife and a firearm, you're, in a lot of ways, you're sort of locked into more of a, you know, a lethal uh, pathway, if you will. Uh, but I, I really like uh, the, the impact tools and, you know, just any uh, various uh, lengths of uh, those from, you know, three feet all the way down to just like six inches and, and anything in between. Um, it's a great equalizer, and you know, especially with the with the tidgets, you know, you just use that slamming type action. Um, it's really brutally effective. So yeah, that's that's what I would use, or that's yeah. what I use, I should say. Yeah. yeah. yeah let's uh, let's go ahead and, and get past the weapons. Oh, we've covered so many really cool tips for that. Um, but you know, let's look at some of the other areas that people are, are generally familiar with with ninjutsu and bring it up to modern times. So, you know. What are some of the traditional, you know, you know, stealth? You know, kind of we we think of them like all of a sudden out of the doorway comes, you know, or, or above the doorway, if you will. This is like ninja was like right. standing on a one inch ledge of you know, of of the uh, the doorway. Um, so stealth is a, is a big part of being able to, you know, enter into places that you want to get to and. Um, that might be guarded or overcoming obstacles, things like that. So what are some of the traditional methods of stealth, um, and how can they be used today, whether it's, you know, doorway entry or obstacle clearing or, or cross-stepping? How how can someone, if they need to use stealth as a tool to be able to um, escape from a situation or to be able to um, enter into a location that they want to gain access to? I mean, we're not trying to train you know, want to be hoodlums? How to, you know, get in the bank? Ninja you know, breaking and entering. Yeah, exactly. This is uh, breaking and entering 101 by Brian. Stone. 101. Um, you know, but there are there are instances where you might want to access um, a location that is either guarded or whatever. It may right. be. Again, I'm in, you know big into urban survival and stuff like that, and there might be areas where you need to get supplies from just to be able to survive and things like that. So so stealth is a big thing. What are some of the, the modern stealth methods that uh, you find to be very effective? Uh, I think the the first sort of my, my way of, of sort of teaching that to um, people is first through the psychology or through mindset where, you know, I mean, you could you can put on all the, you know, camo you want or, face paint or, you know, disguise yourself in, in, in any manner that, that you want. But if your head's not right, you're going to be found out. you, you got to be real calm. And depending on where you're at, if you're in the wilderness, there's there's a lot of actually just what you might call uh, in Japanese called simonjits or, or hypnosis or, or meditation type techniques where you, you purposely blend in mentally in the environment. And then there's also urban and suburban versions of that, uh, where you, uh, let's say, you know, one thing you can do is, uh, sort of 
just repeat something over and over in your head to kind of calm you down. And also it would be, this might be, sound a little esoteric, but it, it would be difficult for people to pick up on what your intention is. So you can just say Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola silently in your mind over and over, and that will have the uh, effect of kind of chilling you out and also not giving away what your ultimate objective objective might be, which is to, you know, perhaps gain entry into this uh, this place that you need to be. Um, having said that, you know, there's, there's – um, well, that's interesting. Let me ask you a little bit about that just a little bit deeper okay. because, so, I mean, I think one of the things, and you're a security professional, and I have a background in, in security as well. And so, you know, one of the things we always look out for is, this, is the person who is nervous. And the reason why, you know, they're, they're probably nervous is because they're thinking about whatever their mission is. If it's a terrorist, you know, they're thinking about, you know, pushing that button and they're getting on the airplane or whatever. And so I'm, I find myself constantly scanning at the airport. Right. Okay, is that really an 80-year-old grandmother? Should I tackle her right now? You know, she looks a little nervous to me. But, you know, it's like right. you, um, you know, so the thing is that they're thinking about it, and these things show on our face. So I, I find this right. really interesting that you're saying, you know, if you have intentions of, you know, where you don't want to be picked up by security or, um, you know, whoever's standing guard to the place that you um, are trying to gain access to by right. – by training your mind to, um, right. you know, I guess, create this mantra that really doesn't have an emotional effect on you, it exactly. helps to kind of make you more invisible to that. Exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's that's like such an important part of of uh, ninja training, especially as my you know my approach to that or version of that, if if you want to call it that. Um, both historic historically, the ninja very very much involved in that. They were you know, super famous for that type of training. Um, and then in modern day, too, especially if you're, you know, in the security or law enforcement or, or military uh, field, that, that just, you know, has infinite applications. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's so important. And I know people really just gloss over that. I, I find, you know, honestly, most firearms and combatives people are, are really not, you know, not tuned into that at all. They don't really want to know anything about psychology or meditation or, you know, uh, ninja Jedi mind tricks or, you know, any anything like that. But, you know, if, if you're really looking at it as a comprehensive, complete, you know, big picture type system, I mean, it, it, you really have to address that. And, and I think especially if, if we're talking about stealth, um, you, you really have to address it right up front. I mean, it, it's the it, it's the foundation of, of any type of ninja stealth uh, method. Um, because, you know, I, I could teach you a whole bunch of cool-looking techniques, but if you don't have that, that psychological foundation, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, not doing my job uh, as a proper ninja sensei. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not teaching you the real deal. You know, I'm just teaching you, like, 20% of it, and, you know, the rest of it is, you know, you're not going to – you're just not going to get it. And then if your life is really on the line, you know, that would – that would be bad. I mean, I have some ethical challenges with that. Um, but are there yeah, any that we've, if we've, so we've, we've touched on the, um, the mental aspect of it a little bit, but are there any physical things that people should, you know, if they need to be, um, you know, be invisible, I suppose, you know, if we're, if we're looking at stealth and invisibility in the same, in the same camp here, is there, right. um, you know, what sort of little tricks can somebody employ, um, 
that they can learn from, you know, traditional ninjutsu training to be able to uh to be able to use to remain invisible or or uh, stealth. Because you said earlier, I mean, it was something that you said that when I asked you about like kind of what is the, you know, the kind of the the core of the modern day ninja, you said, you know, not be seen as a target, which I found right. very interesting. So, I mean, that that is kind of it, it's this it does intersect with being quote unquote invisible. Um, yeah. So, what are some of those things that people can employ on a on a physical side, or you know, as a practical as a practical uh, techniques or tips or tactics to be able to have more stealth and and be more invisible and not seen as a target? Well, I think um, you know it kind of goes back to uh, what we were talking about before about intelligence gathering. Um, you know, if you live in, in an urban type environment, you you know maybe want to want to find out what uh, cars people are driving, what's the most popular car in your area, and, uh, you know, not get like a bright yellow or red one, but maybe one that's uh, gray or, you know, just uh, silver or something like that. Um, also, too, just, you know, just do some, some recon type work and, and look around, you know, go to a mall or <clears throat> if you live in a, a larger city, just, you know, just people watch for a day, uh or, or even, you know, just, just take like a video camera with you or, or a, you know, some type of camera and just shoot what people are, 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 what are wearing and, um, see the first thing you want to look for is who stands out and then don't do that. And then you want to look for who doesn't stand out and you want to start to investigate why that, why is that? Why does, why did I, look in the direction of this person like three times where I'm looking at a picture of this group of people and I didn't see this one person until like the third or fourth time that I looked at this picture. What is it that made that happen? You know, and it could be a postural type thing like, oh, hey, this person really isn't standing up real straight and tall. They're, they're maybe just, they're real relaxed or they're a little hunched over and they're not wearing, you know, a bright red shirt. They're wearing like a gray hoodie. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, they don't, their, their hair is just kind of like regular hair. They don't really have, you know, whatever that, you know, might be. Um, and you can even start to maybe look a little into the psychology of that person. You know, it's like, well, he's not really looking at me. He's sort of turned away, but he's not turned away to the point where I'm like, wow, what's this, what's up with this guy? Why is he turning away? You know, that type of thing. Um, I think some of those things are really important. It's, there's, I mean, there's like physical tips and tricks that I could definitely teach, but I, I think it's really sort of like an ongoing investigation that you really need to do and, and do this uh, intelligence gathering type of thing. And you know what? It's, it's not going to be like a one-shot thing. You're not just going to spend like a day on this. This is something you really have to look at. And then, you know, there are also times when um, – you want to do the opposite. You know, you want to be able to, and this is more of an intention type thing, and if uh, anybody who's listening who's ever done any security type type work, bodyguard, you know, executive protection type stuff, you want to be able to uh, sort of blend in, and then, at, and then at a moment's notice, you want to be able to be there, be not blend in. You want to be in someone's face, not so much literally, but all of a sudden you have to be there because you're perceiving a threat. And now you have to, you know, be, uh, you have to protect the principal and, 
you've got to be on point and you've got to be there and you've got to let everyone around you know that, like, hey, I'm the dude, this isn't going to happen. And that in and of itself could deter uh, any craziness from continuing. Um, I've, I've definitely experienced that myself. I, I know that for a fact. Uh, that has a lot to do with using your own intention, um, also with this idea of ki. You know, most most people think of ki as just you know like a karate yell. It's actually like a whole, almost like a sub science there, where you're where you're you're using protection, uh, projection of intention um, to protect yourself with. Uh, that's that's really important too. Uh, that's really really important. Um, so that sort of comes later <laughs> in the training, though. That's that's a little bit later. Yeah, but it is. I mean, that intention is very very powerful. Um, you know, I've experienced that as well. Just not with not with striking, but just being able to tell somebody to back off. It's almost right. the same thing. Like you said, it's kind of a sub science, but just the that projection of yelling at somebody, back off, leave me alone. Right is very startling to the central nervous system. It's right. it's pretty shocking what you can do to somebody with that kind of projection. Um, let me ask you, I mean, would you also, uh, this is kind of a little bit of a more modern tie-in, but, you know, we, we expect ninjas to be walking around in black masks and black gear. At <laughs> night, would you recommend that people wear darker clothing if they're in an air, you know, to be able to blend in at will if they go out rather than wearing something that's brightly colored. I mean, if you were chased yeah. after something like that, then, you know, most people, you know, if you're wearing like a white dress shirt out to the club or whatever, great, you look great out there, you know, on, on the dance floor or whatever. But if uh, something happens out in the parking lot or whatever and you're trying to hide or, you know, be invisible right. at some point, you could stand out more. Do you Do you recommend to people that they – would you recommend maybe like wearing darker clothing or something like that if you're in the night? Um, darker, yes. Not solid black, though. Solid black, uh, believe it or not, even if it's almost pitch blackout, stands out. Mm -hmm. What you want is like a softer color, like a like a dark blue or a really dark gray. Um, that actually allows you to blend in um, a lot better with uh, any nighttime environment. And then the other thing too is that you don't want to wear like a, you know, like a Bruce Lee like Jeet Kune Do tracksuit that he wore in uh, Into the Dragon. You want that is like super, you know, form fitting. Um, you want something that is a little bit more uh, puffy, uh, if you will, which is kind of like the style of jeans that I think most most guys like wear today. And you know, you don't want like a real super tight form fitting like shirt. You want something that's a little, like, has a little bit room into it so that, um, as you maybe crouch down or, or try to blend into something, it'll, it'll sort of form, you know, with your shape. It's not just like a, a solid, you know, line. That's, that's what really gives you away, you know, in, uh, in, especially at night, you know, with the solid, you know, nature doesn't have solid lines. And, and even, uh, even in a city, there's, there's not so, as many solid lines as you really, you know, might think there would be, you know, but if you have like, you know, maybe a little bit bigger clothes that are, uh, you know, real dark gray or dark blue. That's that's definitely the way to go, for sure. Great. Yeah. You know. Now, uh, Brian, I know we we've gone a little bit long here. I have a few questions left. Are you okay on time or? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Let's go okay, for it. Okay. Great. I mean, I'm just I'm getting so much out of this. I don't. I want to keep you here all and just wring your arm behind your back, <laughs> every ounce of this I can. Um, 
I, what I would like to do is is tap into your um, your training and the way that you have um, really evolved in, in in using this as a survival platform to some specific examples, maybe of some survival scenarios. And and if you can try and tap into you know kind of the ninja training as much as possible for this. But I'd like to know your best tips for for some scenarios. I mean, one of the things that you know, you brought up earlier was like a carjacking. Okay, so right. um, you know, this could be somebody that either you get bumped from behind right. and um, you, uh-huh. you, you get out and it's like, oh, you go to look at your fender and somebody's, you know, thanks for your car. Um, it could be somebody. You know, recently we've there have been some flash mob riots that have been happening. I mean, let's right. face it, these are pretty violent times, and there have been right. a few instances now. Um, we've been following some. We, we've been following it within our with our members area for things like Philadelphia that has had some some real bad instances where at a moment's right. notice a bunch of people can just, you know, all of a sudden break out into violence and they're just literally pulling people right out of their cars into the street and beating on them. Right. So um when it comes to um like the the carjacking type of a scenario, what are some of what are what are the best couple of tips that you can think of related to your your ninjutsu training? Um, that would help protect somebody? Um, the first thing is, uh, um, to be really honest, is um, my, my car is not worth my life. If somebody just wants my car and I'm as sure as I could possibly be that he really just wants the car and is just going to get in the car and drive away, then I, I think I would be inclined to just get in the car. Um, having said that, uh, this really ties into everything. If, if I mean, if, you know, honestly, uh, I'm, I'm a really good guy. If, if somebody you know, just comes, like, knocking on my window and it's just like, you know, hey, I want your car or something like that or tries to grab me if my window's down or, or you know, the moon's open or whatever, um, uh, that doesn't really concern me. You know, that's going to be a very big mistake um, on his part. Um, I, I think if, if he has a, a weapon, though, a pistol or, or even a knife, the, you know, the window's open or, something like that, and he puts a knife, you know, sneaks up to me, and maybe I'm stopped at a light, you know, that type of scenario. Um, you, then it, it comes into play. You, you know, you have, to, you have to know how to use edge weapons, but you also have to know how to protect yourself against an edge weapon. Or, you know, he put a, a pistol to my temple, again, like the stop light type scenario. Um, I, you know, I, I want to know how to use a firearm, but I also want to know how to defend, on, be, be unarmed and defend against somebody using you know, pointing a, a pistol at my, my forehead. Um, I think also, too, you know, the ninja also were famous for sort of feigning something and then, you know, sort of winning the fight that way. So you could <clears throat> you could just say, okay, hey, whatever you want, buddy, put your hands up, you know, open the door, say, hey, it's all yours, just, you know, don't hurt me. And then once he looks, you know, once things are like, oh, okay, good, this guy's just giving me his car, awesome, uh, you could, you know, engage him at that point. Um, that's, you know, that's a, a very uh, historically, certainly, you know, the ninja were sort of famous or infamous uh, for that. Um, that would be a good way to go. Um, also, too, uh, you know, not to say if, if you're, uh, if you have the means, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, drive a Porsche or a Mercedes, but, you know, realize that that, incurs a certain amount of risk, whereas if you had a Toyota or a Honda, you know, maybe somebody wouldn't be wanting to carjack your Toyota or Honda, 
Uh, but uh, they're certainly going to want your, uh, you know, brand new Porsche 911 Carrera Turbo, you know, four wheel drive. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you just let have me, to be aware of that. Let, let me ask you this. I mean, this is um, this is a total curiosity question, but it brings into something that kind of came up with the carjacking. But when um, and this is just totally shows my lack of um knowledge of ninja history. But were uh-huh. were th- were there um were there any steps taken? Of the traditional ninja to not be identified as having like like if they went on like an assassination mission or mission or an, an espionage or an intelligence gathering if they were captured or taken um, uh-huh. were there any steps that were taken so that they couldn't be identified as working for a certain lord or or, or something? Um, oh yeah, most most definitely. Um, you know, just like any other uh, intelligence. Uh, type person throughout history, no matter what culture they're from, um, they, they might, you know, consider taking their own life, uh, rather give up uh, any information that could help the enemy. Yeah. Um, well, here's why of, I ask that. Here's why I ask uh-huh. that, because, I mean, it's one thing, like you said, I mean, if it, look, it's, it's a car. I mean, just take the freaking car already, you know, right. but if they take the car and you have information in there with your address on it, you know, like in right. your glove compartment, it's got, you know, your, your utility bill is in there or you've got, right. you keep a checkbook in your car. Well, now right. you've got, you know, potentially maybe some gang members or whatever who have taken your car, who also have your, your home address right. and, you know, potentially even on your car keys have your, your front door key. Right. Now they know where you live. They have access to your home. And, you know, with just a little bit of prepared, you know, a little bit of planning, like not keeping your your house key on your your car keys, or I guess it would be fine to have your car key or your house key on there if you had zero, you know, um, any anything in your car that would have, you know, whether it's insurance, paperwork, or whatever that has your home address on it. Yeah. Yeah, I have a PO box on there. Uh, that's what yeah. I have on mine. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, have your have your have a PO box, and you know everything's registered in you know to the PO box as a. You can tell the insurance company and everyone to uh, even. I mean, most states will allow you to have your a PO box on your driver's license. So even if your wallet's in there, you know at least, it, hmm. you know they're not going to break into your PO box uh, and uh, you know cost you there. Um, well, and that taps into the whole invisibility thing because it's not just about you know physical invisibility, but also you know are you guiding guarding your identity and where you know where you live from people that might you know want to know where you live for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's actually fascinating. Um, if you look at some of the um, the historical ninja, um, many of them that that we know for sure. I mean, you know, obviously it's kind of hard to get a lot of historical information on an uh, underground uh, resistance force, you know, from a thousand years ago in Japan. But um, the ones that we do know about, a lot of them, what they would do is have um, two identities. And they, they even go so far as to set up an entire household with, you know, with even like a family and servants and so forth, if, if they had the means. Uh, so that, and they, and they never would stay in, in one house too long. Um, and that way they could protect that, their identity and do a lot of things that seem like, you know, is almost like uh, like a mystical or, or uh, type of thing, where they're, you know, in two different places at the same time or, you know, thing, all, all kinds of stuff like that. That's where a lot of those uh, ninja legends come from. But it, it, the, the hardcore reality of it is that uh, they 
were living two separate lives under different names. Um, and of course, you know, it, it, it was so much easier back then because we didn't have an internet and cameras and, you know, things like that. So they could definitely pull that off uh, a lot better than we'd be able to do today. Um, but that's, you know, to, uh, about, it's very important to, you know, protect, uh, your identity, um, you know, perhaps not go to, to, to that length, but there, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wisdom in the ninja tradition that, that deals with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's take another survival scenario here. I mean, a man's home is his castle and, you know, uh, home invasions. I keep a, um, on, on Google, so this is kind of a cool little modern, I guess, ninja trick that I've been pulling, which is um, I go to Google, and I have Google Alerts. Um, so anybody can go, and they can just type in Google Alerts at Google, and, and, and you can pull up. You know, Basically, all you do is type in certain keywords, and, and anything that happens across the Internet related to um, that, what I do is I put in the words home invasion, and right. I and I uh, have Google alerts. Anything in that is news based comes right. across my my Google dashboard, and I can see what news stories are happening about home invasions. And oftentimes, you can see how home invaders have, how, you know, what different tricks they've used to gain access to a, uh, a house and things like that. So, home invasion is something that um, I, I take very very seriously, um, right. where you know. Um, Gang members or home invasion people oftentimes come in while you're home. It's for the thrill of it. It can be very brutal. It can be um, very violent. So let's take uh, that scenario. What are some some strategies that that you think are applicable to the, from the training that you've that you've taken that you instruct for things like a home in, where you have invaders that come into your home? Right. Yeah. That's. Um... Uh, that's an, uh, an excellent uh, question. Um, yeah, going back to ninja, historically, there's actually a whole subsection of ninjas uh, dealing with uh, castle fortification. Really? And, you know, yeah, it's actually it's really like a whole fascinating, like an, another sub sub art or sub science, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, absolutely fascinating area of study. Uh, and you know, at first you're thinking like, you know, yeah, that's nice, but uh, you know, I don't live in a Japanese castle. <laughs> I live in an apartment or in a you know, three-bedroom home. <laughs> uh, what does that do for me? Um, the the concepts are are really the same uh, the, conceptually that you would use to protect uh, a castle a thousand years ago in feudal Japan that you would use to protect uh, a modern-day urban or suburban apartment or home. Um, the first thing is, you know, you you can't really you know probably put a moat out. But you definitely could, you know, especially now you can get some really inexpensive cameras and set those up, uh, get some real good high quality locks. I actually did this for, um, some friends of mine very, very recently. I just went into a home and, and did like, you know, like a security, uh, down for them. And, you know, it's just like really simple, inexpensive things that if you, if you don't have that mindset, you're not really, you just don't appreciate that. But, you know, if you have like, a uh, a lot of people, their front door will be like a big, essentially like a big pane of glass in a wooden frame. Um, but you want to really make sure that you have a like a double-sided deadbolt on there uh, so that you would need a key to open it even if you're on the inside. You'd still have to flip the deadbolt. 
Um, that that's really you know something like that is really important. And also you know don't get the you know super duper cheapo you know locks. It's it's your home. You really want some good quality locks like the the Schlage uh, A series or uh, you know something uh, something at least that quality uh, to to protect yourself. And make sure that, you know, you have a key and knob and a deadbolt uh, placed at least, you know, three inches above that. Um, that's really important. Of course, you know, a quality alarm system. Uh, you really want to make sure that, you know, the whole perimeter of your home is, is well protected. Um, again, that's the, uh, these days uh, most, most companies are giving those away. Uh, all you need to do is sign up for their uh, service. You know, so you're getting like a free alarm system. Uh, also, too, uh, a lot of these lights, especially if you like your driveway is close to your front door type of thing, using these lights that are motion detector type lights. So anyone who comes on your driveway immediately lights on, whether it's three o'clock in the morning or you don't have to worry about flipping the switch or anything like that. And you can also do it uh, on your walkway and in your back. So you have all these motion detector lights all over. That's real important. Um, doing, uh, you know, looking at the bushes uh, near your house, making sure that you can put a like low lying bushes right in front of your window so that someone's got to go like, you know, three or four feet before they actually get to a window. Um, you know, that's really, but not, you don't want it high enough so someone can kind of jump in there and hide behind it and now, Jimmy, your window's open. Um, so, so, you know, real simple, basic stuff, like that's really important. Also having, um, having a, a safe room, even if it's, you know, not like a, you know, not something that's you know that you see in in uh, some of the movies, uh, yeah. but even even a bathroom where you you can put like a one-sided deadbolt uh, on there so that you you close the bathroom door or even like two deadbolts and you make sure that you know the hinges are real good quality hinges and it's not a not a hollow core door but like a real solid like wood or you know even even like a metal door. But also something that's not ridiculously obvious, like, oh, this is the safe room. You know, here, everyone, the whole family is hiding in here. You know, you don't want something like that. You want to be ninja-like about it. Um, and then, of course, in the safe room, you can have um, one of those real inexpensive cell phones that you can use for an emergency. Um, if you have any firearms, you could uh, perhaps have, like, a safe, uh, safe place to keep that under, uh, you know, under the sink. Uh, where, you know, kids, if you have any kids, you could, you know, kids wouldn't get out of that, but you can get out of that real quick. Uh, first aid kit, uh, flashlight, um, you know, whatever, if, if you don't have firearms or that's, you know, that's not gonna, you, know, you don't want that. Um, you still have some kind of, uh, weapon, like an impact, uh, tool, uh, in there, some OC spray. Uh, that, that would be, you know, the, the real basic rundown for, um, you know, I guess more preventing a uh, a home invasion. The other thing that's really really important, and I also had some friends of mine do this, is practice what you think might go on actually in your house. So if you have some like airsoft pistols, say you know you have you have actually real firearms, and you're you're feel comfortable with that, um, practice having someone be a bad guy and get where you can hide. Uh, to protect yourself or what you can use, you know, can some, uh, you know, cover, like, you know, true cover, that type of thing, and go through some scenarios. Work, work through some, some scenarios with the airsoft pistols where, you know, let's say your wife, you know, pretend that she's on the phone calling 911 while you're, you know, uh, sort of hiding behind the, 
the door or I'm going to say hiding, but you're, you're behind the door, you know, under, under proper uh, cover, you know, telling the guy, you know, turn around, drop it, you know, and so forth, uh, uh, that type of thing, or just, you know, just escaping. And, you know, of course, the same thing with fire. There's also a whole, whole, like, section of, of ninjas that deals with uh, fire because, you know, back, uh, back a thousand years ago when everything is made out of wood, somebody sets fire to, you know, your home or your, your castle, then that's, they're going to destroy that. So there's ninja methods of how to do that and then also ninja methods of how to prevent that, you know, from happening. But it, that's completely, completely applicable to, uh, you know, modern day survivalist type of, uh, type of training, you know, where you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to die in a, you know, die in a fire in your, in your home. That's, that's just horrible, you know, so. Uh, just planning on, you know, having fire extinguishers. If you have like a two-story home, uh, having a ladder, uh, even like those stickers, you know, for kids, letting uh, the uh, fire people know, you know, rescue people know that uh, there's kids in this, uh, potentially in this bedroom. You know, off the top of my head, those are just, you know, some things that come to my mind. And also, I think integrating, um, you know, some of the things we talked about, like stealth, invisibility, and intelligence gathering. You know, I, I um, we just recently sold our house, and we're we're building another house right now, and we're we're incorporating. Um, in, I mean, it's it's great to go from the design phase and be able to build out, you know, certain security features within the home. But right, right. now, in the meantime, we're renting a home, and the home is a hundred years old, uh-huh. and like everything creaks in the house. <laughs> You know, it's like the old wooden floors and everything, right. and it's a big, you know, it's we're all losing a lot of sleep at night because if anybody has to go to the bathroom, it wakes everybody up because you can hear them creaking down the hall. So right. I think, you know, houses naturally creak, but if you right. have to employ stealth within your home, if um, let's say it's late at night and, you know, whether you're trying to get the family to the safe room and you've, you're trying to tiptoe down the hall or whatever, I think everybody right. kind of instinctively knows that one little step that they have in the stairs that creaks or whatever. But, right. you know, it, it makes sense to know what that, that step is or where where yeah. are your noise factors within your house if you need to be able to right. move with stealth or invisibly because there's oh, yeah. a home invader and you and you want to like try and get to safety, um, right. you know, without tipping them off. Oh, um, oh yeah. The uh, the last uh, scenario um, that I wanted to go over um, is something that a lot of people have questions about because it's it's one of the worst case survival scenarios when it comes to having to defend yourself, and that's with multiple attackers. Now the ninja right. of old, I mean, they weren't just out roaming you know, roaming the, the lands by themselves, I guess, or whatever. You know, if they were fighting people, it was very possible they were fighting, you know, other security people of, of another castle or right. it, there were there were multiple people that they were fighting. So what right. would you say are the, um, let's say, the, maybe the top two or three strategies from, from your training that you think is applicable now in the modern world for kind of modern combat versus uh, multiple attackers? That's uh, another great question. Yeah, the, the historical ninja also were were uh, facing probably guys with uh, real long spears or uh, three three foot long razor blades uh, and uh, multiple attacker situations. So that's uh, certainly a challenging place to be. Um, for for real, you know, real modern, real life modern type training, um, I think. Th- one of the things that's really important is to, as 
much as you can to stack the attackers so that you're dealing with them one one at a time. Well, first of all, I'd say if you can just get away, get away. If if you're cornered or you're in a situation where you just have to engage, okay, then then you have to engage. But if you know that's where all this like Metsubush blinding powder and shuriken you know came in, that's when they really used that uh, tremendously skillfully because uh, you know it's it's hard to fight uh, you know four or five guys with spears and and razor blades you know with, with swords um, and and also make it home safe, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, I'd say the the first thing you really want to do is if, if you do have to, you know, fight this fight, you want to stack as much as possible. So you're going to use um, skillful footwork to maneuver it so that um, they're all, the bad guys are kind of lined up like one after another, like one behind another as much as possible. You definitely don't want to get surrounded because uh, they can just, you know, they'll just jump right in, uh, whether it's empty hand or, or a weapon type scenario. Yes, but we've all we've all seen the ninja movies. I mean, ninjas circle around and then they come in one at a time, right? <laughs> you know, they don't want to yeah. they don't want to overwhelm you too quickly. They just you know send one at a time, and you know until he right. He's beaten up. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, it'd be, it would be great if you can somehow hypnotize the bad guys to to just yeah. attack you one at a time. Um, yeah, I would say that that would be the first thing I would try to do. Um, the other thing is that if I knew I, I really had to fight this fight and, and I had to engage these attackers, um, I would pick the what would appear to be the leader or the most aggressive guy, and I would I would go after him first and just just really do him up with you know eye jabs and slaps to the ears and punches and chops to the throat and elbows and knees and like techniques like that type of stuff, just real like hardcore brutal uh, combatives. And then throw him uh, into another guy, and use as much of the environment as possible, and then take out the, the guy nearest to you, um, which would also be another strategy if you know if the the so-called leader or the most aggressive guy wasn't wasn't close to me, I might just go go after the guy who's as close to me, you know, as as. Uh, the, the guy closest to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and again, just really brutally, uh, attack him, throw him into it, you know, close the gap as much as possible, use some like real low level kicks and then, you know, engage him brutally, uh, throw him, him into, uh, another bad guy and just go through him that way. And at, at, at any one time, you definitely want to be looking for, uh, the escape route. You know, I, I don't, um, I, I wouldn't feel that I had to uh, somehow beat all these guys up uh, to win the fight or anything like that. That's that's actually uh, a very un-ninja-like way of thinking, you know, the sort of like the anti-John Wayne, uh, you know, way of, of doing things. You just, just want to do whatever you have to do to survive and then just get out of there. So if I just, you know, take the guy, take, take the guy out who's closest to me, and then it looks like, oh man, these guys are, <laughs> you know, not as intent as, uh, as, uh, closing in on me as they were, but, you know, just a few minutes ago or a few, few moments ago. Okay. I'm good with that. I'm out, you know, and then I'm, I'm done. Uh, but also too, if, if they have, uh, you know, we're talking about like modern day stuff, I mean, if they have like a, any kind of knife or, or a pistol or firearm on them, definitely, you know, get control of that and, you know, start going at it with those guys with that. 
uh, get to a safe place and, you know, see if you could, you know, uh, survive the fight in, in that manner. Pretty much use whatever you can. If there's anything around, too, of any, any, even like, uh, you know, beer bottles, um, dirt on the ground, rocks, sand, throw sand in their eyes, uh, garbage cans, whatever. Uh, I guess we don't have too many uh, antennas on cars now like that, but, you know, I mean, anything like that. Any, use anything as a protection tool so that uh, you can go home safe. Yeah, that would be my, my way of dealing with that. I mean, there's some there's some great stuff there. I, I like the um this like the tip when we go back to the the modern day kind of weapons that you can use. You know, throwing sand out there. You you might be able to t- if you have five guys in front of you, and especially if they're in like like the, if it's sand in a cigar tube, it's very directional. Like you can wave that in front of you, and you can make a real cone kind of uh you know go out there. You could you could blind all of them potentially and and be able to escape from that. Or even if it's just a couple. You know, even if it's just startling them, it gives you the ability to, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But um, you know, kind of proactively, you know, be the first, the first to strike to be able to take somebody out quickly and and really right. just bring those odds down from five versus one, maybe down to, you know, one versus one for just the few seconds that you need, and then then you know be able to escape from there or whatever it is. So I mean, uh, I, I that's uh, that's really great, and then. You know, I think what also the um, the special forces soldier said, you know, that the um, you know a lot of the foundation of the footwork and and you know obviously when you're dealing with multiple attackers, you're not going to stand there and watch them come in one at a time. You're going to need to move if you're going to stack them, um, if you're going to throw somebody into somebody else, if you're going to be able to strike and be able to move at the same time. You need to keep your center of gravity low, and um, you know that that footwork that you. Um, that that is so very important with the uh, with the ninjutsu training, right? Um, it, and that seems like another really good crossover there, and how it can apply to um, you know to a modern situation. Right. Great stuff. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say with with the footwork, the the real key to this, um, call like taisabaki or uh, even like like ninja aruki, uh you know, running. It's the the whole idea of that is to to move your body off the line of attack. And if you, if you look at any weapon system, whether it's from Japan or Philippines or Indonesia, um, you really get to see that those guys had the same idea, you know, that, hey, someone's coming at me with, like, this huge blade. I can't block that. I have to, I have to move myself to safety first in the fight. And, you know, that's so important. And it just makes so much sense, um, you know, when you, when you really just think it out, it's like, oh, yeah, so you, you get off the line of attack. You move away from uh, or, you know, you move away from the the bad stuff coming your way. Now, for that moment in the fight, you're you're safe, and then you can continue to fight from there. But it's, it's a real, real smart way of fighting, real smart. Yeah. Jeez, uh, Brian. Uh, this has been i have so many cool tips from this this has been uh an incredible training uh training broadcast i i really appreciate you just kind of opening up and uh and really bringing such an amazing i think uh i mean there's i've got to definitely study this the traditional of of this art much much closer because to me it's just absolutely fascinating it has it's so diverse and it has so much to offer the modern day combatives practitioner. And I really appreciate you. Um, I think you're the perfect person to be able to do this. And I, and I love, listen everybody, you need to go check out Brian's website. 
at www.briensteinselfdefense.com um, and sign up for his newsletter because, like I said, he's very consistent with what he puts out and and it's just really great information. It's very easy to to digest no matter whether you're into ninja training or whether you're just a, just a fellow self-protectionist. So definitely go over and check out his website and sign up for his newsletter. Brian, again, I want to thank you. I know we went long. Uh, usually these are only about an hour long, but you were just giving up so much cool stuff, man. So I had to keep you on. But I really appreciate you taking the time for us tonight. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This was awesome. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, that's it for uh, for this training broadcast. And uh, I, I, I got a lot out of it. I know you did as well. So, listen, um, definitely stay tuned for the next one that's coming up. And until the next Street Survival broadcast, train hard and stay safe. has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.